0: Space debris is one of these problems that we've been watching here on the channel. What do we do when a spacecraft reaches the end of its life and you can no longer control it? It can't deorbit. It's just a chunk of metal that is flying around the earth. And there's a potential that's going to crash into another satellite, create more debris, that debris is going to hit other satellites like it's a problem. And so there's a company called astral scale, and they're working out solutions to dock with spacecraft and deorbit them and move on to the next spacecraft and deorbit them. And they actually already launched a demonstrator where they took their own sample payload to space, played around with it kind of like a cat playing with a ball, uh, and were able to test a lot of this technology. And now they're working on a more complicated version called the ELSA-M, where they're actually going to fly out to multiple spacecraft, dock with them, push them down into the atmosphere and then move on to another target. So my guest today is Alex Godfrey from Astroscale, we talk about the problem of space junk, the solutions that Astroscale is working on, and then we kind of speculate about what the future holds for space based infrastructure, think about refueling, maintenance, recycling, all of these ideas that can come when you have a really robust space based infrastructure. So enjoy my interview with Alex Godfrey. How how bad is the space junk problem right now?
1: Well, when you think about um, the the objects that we just can track, um, you know there are about thirty, just over thirty thousand objects that are greater than ten centimeters, which is is the limit that we can um, accurately track things really. Um, And if something that big hits you, you know hits your satellite at uh, seven eight kilometers a second, sixteen thousand miles an hour. it's game over. But but it doesn't have to be something that big to, to cause significant damage. Um, and in fact, you know, there was a crack on, on the window of the International Space Station one year, and that was from something that was less than a millimetre across. It was a fleck of paint that had come back round. Now, those objects, there's hundreds of millions. So there's, there's a lot of danger from small objects. Um, and I think one of the One of the things that that we have to worry about is that it's very difficult to deal with those small objects. They're they're very hard to find. They're very hard to grab. What we have to try and do is remove the large objects before a collision occurs and they become thousands or hundreds of thousands of small objects.
0: Right, right. Uh, And I guess how good a job are the world's space agencies and private companies at dealing with the space junk problem. Is that even a consideration at this point?
1: There's certainly a, um, a real awareness of the problem now, and there there is a lot of drive from, from international agencies. So in the UK, it's it's part of the national space strategy to, to, to look at removing objects. Um, and there's a mission that, that we're looking to, to work on, the UK active debris removal mission that will be removing two UK licensed assets. Uh, in in the u.s there, there's the orbits act recently which which has really tried to to, to make people aware of space debris as an issue and, and start to think of ways to solving it um in the european space agency they have a, a charter that launches um called their zero debris initiative and so by 2030 they will remove um any any failed spacecraft from um, that, that they've put up after that date i, I think people are generally quite good at removing the, their active spacecraft. So they have a plan A, you know, when when an act, when a spacecraft gets to its end of life, it, it boosts down and it re-enters and burns up in the atmosphere. And that's great. But a percentage of spacecraft, like a percentage of all things, will fail uh, and will not be able to control itself. Uh, and I think where we're looking for more action and more awareness is what about the plan B? You know, what happens when you can't control your spacecraft and bring it back down to Earth? Um, how do you remove it? How do you get it out of the way? Uh, And that's where we need to start to see a little bit more action. But people are aware of the problem, and that's always the first step. But, yeah, we need to move on now.
0: In in fact, like we're the day that we're recording, Europe is planning to deorbit one of its satellites. So Mm. it should come down back today. When you listen to this, it will have already happened. Um, So and, and that's great. I mean, to have that and it like just makes sense. And so when you think about sort of some of the legacy spacecraft that are up there, there there was no plan. You just mm. launch it and then just assume space is a big place and it'll just go away somehow.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, since the since the fifties, we've been sending stuff up there, very similar to how you know when people started making plastics, so the thought was, well, we 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 can buy this stuff; it can go to landfill, um, but. There's a point where there is a tipping point. And, and actually, when you look at the data now and you look at the, the number of things that, that we have up there, we're no longer at the point where the environment can just sort itself out. Um, if you roll the clock back uh, a few decades, um, there was certainly an argument that could be made that, well, if we don't put any more spacecraft up, um, it will get better over time. Um, we're now at a point that there's so much up there that objects are going to to going to collide into each other and create more objects uh, and and the overall number of items that we have in space is, is just going to increase over time. So we really do need to start going up and, and removing things.
0: Do you think about the, the orbital levels like a spacecraft that is in extremely low orbit maybe something that's below the altitude of say the International Space Station it's going to come back pretty quickly versus the things that are up in 2,000 kilometers they're going to be around for Hundreds, if not thousands, of years.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's certainly um, priority areas and, and let's say, danger areas. Um, there is a very congested low Earth orbit at the moment. Between, you know, uh, as you say, something as low as the International Space Station will re-enter very quickly. But you only have to get up to your sort of 600 kilometer, 500 kilometer mark, and things then start to become more persistent. Um, and we've also seen a real crowding of that area with the mega constellations so we've seen um, uh, companies who, who are who are launching hundreds if not thousands of satellites into constellations uh, so we see a very crowded area there um and it's an that's actually an interesting case in itself because those companies are more invested than anyone to keep their orbits clean uh, because you you only have to have a collision between, Two of your satellites in your constellation, and suddenly that's created hundreds of objects that collide into your other satellites, and suddenly you've lost hundreds of millions or, or billions even of investment. Um, and then going a bit further out, you, you know, the, there is the geostationary ring, this very special orbit where you're always above the same uh, point on the Earth at, at any given time. Um, and now that's very well regulated, uh, but but again, we need to make sure that that is sustainable. Um, how do we keep the, the objects that we have in that area? How do we keep them flying for longer? How do we extend their life and make sure that they're more um, uh, more efficient with 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 what we're trying to do?
0: I mean, it's you start to think about space as like another ecosystem. Although obviously, you know, there's not there's like there's there's life there that we know of, but Um, do you think at all about the different, those different orbits? Is there, is there one that is in more need of protection than the others? Like I think about like riparian habitats here on earth. Like there's a lot of rules about what you're going to do close to a river because there's a lot of life, a lot of water flowing through it. The water flows downhill. Like you need to be really careful about that. Are there orbits that should have more consideration than others? Do you think?
1: I think there are certainly orbits that are in more demand and therefore just just by the nature of being more crowded need better protection need better regulation um the, the geostationary ring that we we just mentioned because that is actually so so well used and 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 um, in demand by many different countries that that's actually pretty well regulated uh, okay there could be a bit more but but it's 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 very well um organized um you have to book your slots you have to be very careful about where your spacecraft sits relating to others um, in lower earth orbit uh, we, especially with the rise of these mega constellations we've seen a a, a rapid crowding um, and that low earth orbit is is populated by um not only these mega constellations but a lot of our you know, remote sensing and, and weather satellites, and um, uh, and also by you know space stations and um, and other very important pieces of, of of science equipment. So I think that low Earth orbit region, in in particular, because you've seen this rapid crowding, um, is probably in in the most need of rapid protection.
0: Yeah, I think about those places. Like space is big; it is big, and up at geostationary orbit there's enormous amounts of uh, like a huge volume of space that you could keep spacecraft and like right next to the earth, as we talked about earlier, like these things will deorbit and remove themselves. So even if they, you do get a collision space will clean itself out or it'll all re-enter the earth's atmosphere and, and clear out. But there's like this middle place where there's not a lot of space and yet any spacecraft or any debris is going to last for centuries and and as you said you know that stuff starts to turn into the size of centimeter particles you can't chase them down and it's just going to cause this additional risk for anything else you try to put into this vital orbit
1: and as they come down they sweep through the orbits of right. everything that's that's below it right. so um it might start in a, in a fairly uncrowded altitude but it doesn't take long for it to drift down into something that's a bit more, more crowded. Uh, and then also as we, as we start to send, you know, we, we're starting to return, um, more to the moon, um, where we're, we have eyes on interplanetary science as well as, as a, as, as a, as a, species, um, you start to think about, well, is it going to get to the point where it's so crowded that you, you, you struggle to get out, you know, you struggle to get further away because there's this band of, um, Of debris and this rubbish that just makes it difficult to, to, to even leave that lower band of orbit.
0: And you're going to have to wait potentially centuries for it to come down to the point Mm. that it's, that it's cleared out again and Mm. taking out all of that low earth orbit stuff while it comes down. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's a, it's a thorny problem and it's sort of like another classic tragedy of the comet. So, so let's talk about your solution. So, so what, uh, what is does astroscale have planned to try to help remove some of the space junk
1: so so what astroscale have developed over the um, you know over the inception of the company and we're 10 years old now um we we've been developing um concepts to to remove full satellites um for, from orbit and that and there comes uh, a couple of different ways we can do that right so um in an ideal scenario, what we do is we approach these satellite operators beforehand. We encourage them to be responsible space operators and fit a docking plate. Um, we kind of think of it as a satellite tow hook, right? Where you can you can grab on to the spacecraft, um, uh, and that makes it much easier to remove. Uh, so we ha- we have our own docking plate solution, and, and we work with a number of companies to install these. Um, And then we have our our ELSA-M solution, which is end-of-life services by Astroscale multi-client. And the the purpose of that mission is to then go to spacecraft that have been prepared with a docking plate. Um, uh, And for us, we use a, a magnetic fixture, a magnetic attachment point. Um, and we, we close the distance um, very carefully and, 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 and using our, our guidance navigation control algorithms and our, our computer vision algorithms to make sure we close the distance um, you know, as, as safely as possible uh, and then dock on to these client spacecraft when they're inactive. So, when they're no longer able to remove themselves. Um, once we're docked on, we, we then safely bring, bring that uh, uh, client down to a lower orbit. And we release it let it go uh, so it can burn up in the atmosphere and then we are the the reason it's elsa m multi-client is we then boost up and go and grab another piece of space debris um you know it's it's absolutely essential to have that repeatability otherwise you're you're launching a spacecraft to remove one (laughs) spacecraft and it doesn't quite work out um so elsa m is, is is our way of dealing with prepared spacecraft
0: Uh, People ask me that this question quite a lot, which is like, why don't we just go and grab all that space junk and just pile it up into a ball and then use it for some purpose in space because it's already out in space. And my answer is like every single piece of space junk is like a bullet that is moving on its own trajectory and you need to be able to fly out, match the trajectory of bullets, catch them, right? Mm. And and there's only sort of a limit. So I guess how many pieces of debris do you think, or how many defunct satellites do you think that one spacecraft would have propellant on board to be able to safely deorbit?
1: Well, so so LCRM, we we look to be able to deorbit um, you know three or four spacecraft um, with a with a, a full tank of fuel. Um, it does depend a lot on on where they are in relation to each other. Um, if if they're at very different altitudes or inclinations of their orbit, then we have to use more fuel to go and chase them down. Um, but one thing that we're also looking at is how do we develop a a full in space infrastructure to support these missions because. Hey, once you can maneuver and, and, and grab a spacecraft, you can do a lot of things with it. You can start to think about refueling. You can start to think about upgrading them. So, um, you know, although we can we can maybe do three or four spacecraft with, with one tank of uh, fuel, we'll we we'll look to try and have a, a gas station effectively in orbit that we can go and refuel from and then and, and deal with more spacecraft.
0: Right. It's another spacecraft to dock with. But in this case, it's the one that provides you with more fuel and you don't have to throw it into the atmosphere.
1: Absolutely. Yes, it's, 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 it's just another docking maneuver um, with an, an additional manipulator arm or, or something that will come out and, and, and uh, be able to transfer fuel from one craft to the other.
0: So what's the big challenge? What is the greatest challenge of, you know, trying to approach a satellite that maybe wasn't prepared with the docking plate and try to sort of grab it and, and remove it from orbit? Mm, yeah,
1: the, when when it isn't fit, fitted with a, a plate and you're, you're less aware of it, it's maybe an older um, satellite. Then um, understanding how it's moving is is a real part of the challenge. Uh, so we have another mission called uh, Cosmic, um, and that is uh, part of the the UK's active debris removal program that we're, we're looking to uh, to secure. Uh, Now, instead of having a magnetic capture system that that can clip onto a magnetic um, uh, docking fixture, we have a robotic arm that has a grabber that that can can grab onto the launch adapter ring of the the client spacecraft, which is just a hard point that that is suitable for for grabbing onto. Um, So there are a few things that we, we really need to understand before we go and capture just any satellite that's up there. We need to know how it's spinning, how it's tumbling. We need to have a good understanding of that hard point, the thing that we're actually going to grab onto. Uh, so we rely a lot on um, what's referred to as space situational awareness. Um, so this SSA uh, data. Now that can be gathered from from the ground, um, uh, you know, pointing um, uh, cameras up into space and, and tracking things and, and understanding how things are tumbling, um, but there are limitations to that um cloud cover doesn't help um and uh, and and what we're also looking at doing is how can we use in space space situational awareness so where can we use cameras in orbit to better understand uh, these objects but but once you understand them and once you're able to to grab onto them we use very similar guidance navigation control algorithms as we do on lSRM to be able to safely dock and and that is the real um let's say that's the that's the clever difficult bit of the mission that 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 rendezvous piece uh that's the real
0: challenge and uh, like i'm sort of envisioning one of these spacecraft tumbling and the docking ring might be tumbling over and over in an axis of rotation that is not helpful to you um, so but i mean it, is there some part of the spacecraft that's always like I'm sort of imagining the the maneuvers that you would try to make to to match rotation with the target? You know, what's the approach? How do you how do you deal with this?
1: Well, I suppose one of the one of the good things about the scenario that that we're looking at is when you're in space and once you've you've undergone. Um, uh, uh, let's say a rate of motion um, unless another force acts on you um, it's fairly predictable uh, and in space you know we have no microgravity um, there's no atmosphere so so it is a very predictable motion at least um, and, and when we when we approach a target it's it's almost like a bit of a dance we, we try and match, um, the way that we're manoeuvring to to the way that the the client is manoeuvring as much as possible, um, uh, and we have to rely on a, on a series of sensors. So um, when we're far away from from the client, we can use ground based data, we can use GPS data to know where we are. We can close that gap as we get closer. Um, at one point, we have to hand control over to the spacecraft to do it autonomously. So a lot of what we do is develop those algorithms and that that software that automates the capture with sensors and cameras on board um, our LCRM spacecraft so that we can do that final maneuver. Um, but yes, it's it's all about trying to, to dance and and get as close as you can and then perform that final capture
0: right and so you're you're watching flying up to the target watching how it's doing its rotation moving yourself into a position that makes the approach as safe as possible match its orientation its spin and then grab it
1: yeah absolutely and and a, a number of points along that that um uh that chain of commands. There are there are lots of safe go no go points where operators on the ground are watching what's happening. They're they're assessing the motion of both our spacecraft and our, our client spacecraft, making sure there's nothing going wrong. Uh, and and they're able to say, right, move to the next step. Go go and do that final capture and approach. Or hang on, we need to hold off for a bit. We need to, to, to watch this for a bit longer. So it's not something that's that's taken lightly. It's a, um, it, it's a very uh, um, involved and supervised operation um, with, with a, a huge amount of testing behind the, the software and the algorithms that, that enable us to do it. And um, yeah, as I said before, that that, that is really the, the core of our capabilities here.
0: And so, I mean, this is not just theoretical. You have actually launched a previous prototype mission to test out a lot of this technology. In space, so can we talk about that first, and then move on to your plans for LSAM?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, Elsa D, end of life services by Astroscale demonstrator. um, That was our first mission that that went up to 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 look at this. Um, What we did there is we 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 brought our own client spacecraft up with us, so we launched dock to a a a very small. simulated client at about 20 kilos um and we we launched stacked in in the launch vehicle when we got into orbit we um we, we separated uh, and then we performed a capture and then we then went on to do more progressive testing where we would separate and we would maneuver in different ways um so that was real really the aim from lcd and we learned a huge amount about how the capture system worked, how we could validate that and make sure it was space qualified, but also about how we perform things safely. Uh, and in fact, we had a, a thruster failure um, on board that spacecraft, and we had to do an abort maneuver. So we had to do a safe abort maneuver to move further away from the uh, the client spacecraft. Um, and then we we had to then perform that, that longer range approach. So it wasn't the test that we were, were planning on doing at the time. Um, but it was a vital test because we need to show as much as you know, when we can do this nominally, we need to be able to show when we can do it when things go wrong. So it, it, that was a very um, valuable learning uh, curve for us. Uh, and that learning has gone directly into our LCRM mission, um, where we, we then scale up for a much larger uh, uh, size of spacecraft, um, able to go to a much higher altitude um, and, uh, and, and again, able to m- remove multiple spacecraft, not just one, So having that fuel capacity to go after multiple craft.
0: And so what is the plan then for, for ELSA M, uh, when are you planning to launch?
1: So, um, ELSA M is, is due to launch in the, in the 25, 26 timeframe. Um, it will be uh that initially launched into a lower orbit um and um we will um you know raise the orbit and, and there's another craft that we're looking to rendezvous with and do some tests so again making sure we can do that rendezvous op- operation safely and securely before finally um raising our altitude uh to, to the, the, the the object of interest that we're looking to target
0: and what what do you see as like the future of this in you know if we have a i don't know a a society that respects the common of of our space environment and appreciates the fact that all of the defunct satellites need to be brought down what kind of a market is there out there do you think for for cleaning this up assuming you know assuming that the the operator is going to pay the the disposal fee um how much work is there to do? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we see this um, taking off in a big way um, for a few reasons. Uh, there is there's certainly a regulatory role there. So as as governments, uh, you know, we, we've we've seen are starting to put more stringent requirements on people. There, satellites will be required to um, to be removed after uh, you know if they fail and they're not able to remove themselves. Um, but as well as that, I think more and more people are self-interested um, in, in, in wanting to clear their own orbits up, and they do see it as an insurance case. You know, do I leave this this piece of junk flying around my constellation orbit, um, where you know, at the very the very best, I have to perform collision avoidance maneuvers to avoid it every time it comes round. At worst case, it collides and creates a, a knock-on chain reaction that destroys all my satellites. So, uh, you know, people are um, Realising this, but but we um, you know it, it will take a little bit of time um, you know as we we we're sort of starting to develop those first commercial um, contracts. But then I think the real power is is where do you go from there once you can um, rendezvous and dock with and remove a piece of debris. Uh, it's what what's the rest of the infrastructure you can set up, and I think that's where we will see a um, a, a huge growth. And there are predictions that the, you know, the in-orbit servicing uh, market will be worth billions um, in, in a fairly short timescale.
0: Yeah, you can imagine, you know, if the insurance companies get really serious about the liability, if you have like an, you know, if, what is the, it's a, it's like an endless amount of liability. If you leave your spacecraft up there and it's just going around and around in space, tumbling un, out of control for centuries, you um, how, how does that work? Um, and so getting that stuff cleaned up, I can imagine, is, is a high priority. So I'll, I want to sort of shift gears then and and talk about this idea of space infrastructure. And just right now, every spacecraft that we launch is a sort of self-contained entity. It has all of its fuel. It has its power systems. And as soon as some part of it, some important part of it fails, the spacecraft is over and that is not how things work down here on earth you have maintenance you have refueling you have all of the infrastructure that's required to keep airplanes cars boats operational far longer than whichever part fails um what do you think is the is the future of space infrastructure
1: yeah absolutely it, at the moment it, it satellites it's it's like uh, buying a, a car with a full tank of fuel and then as soon as it runs out you leave it at the side of the road um it, it's just not the the sustainable way to to do things um and so you you but you can draw from that analogy you know our else mission and space debris removal you know that's like a tow truck service um it's it's uh the next thing that, that you'll probably see are the gas stations um providing the fuel to keep spacecraft flying for longer um how can we upgrade spacecraft you know one of the uh, you know where, where the spacecraft often generates its greatest value and, and and money is in the in the payload the instrument that it has up there um but the the structure of the of the craft can often last for for a lot longer so can you reuse that structure for, for things where can you um will we start to see recycling plants as well in in space that can take old parts of spacecraft and and reuse them because it it costs a lot and it's it's not environmentally friendly to to launch spacecraft, um, you know, it's the unfortunately the, the the only solution we have. But if we can reuse more of what is in space, um, it, we'll see an environmental benefit uh, back on Earth as well. So I think recycling will be an, a really interesting proposition in the future. And maybe one of the the other areas is is if we're talking about um, large uh, space-based infrastructure programs. Um, so people talk about the Lunar Gateway, people talk about um, space-based solar power where they're they're looking to create a kilometre-long solar array and beam power back down to Earth. That will only be hap- uh, able to happen if you have some form of servicer that is able to help with assembly, able to help with inspection, upgrading, um, maintenance to some degree, um, and then also the safe disassembly and disposal afterwards. So... In orbit servicing and and with with rendezvous and proximity operations at the very core of all of that um, will be will be vital for the for the future of, uh, of of that space infrastructure and that space economy.
0: I think about that idea, you know, this kilometer long space power system, and as soon as its power regulator fails, then the whole thing is, you know, now it's a junk, giant piece of space junk. It no longer serves its function, which is madness. Um, and, and so we get to this point where there is a lot of this space infrastructure and maintenance and servicing and and refueling and all this kind of stuff. How do you think that that fundamentally changes how missions are, are planned? I mean, we have some examples of in orbit assembly, like the international space station, but nothing else really. I guess the Chinese have done theirs, but but that approach has not been done. And there, are, you know, I've reported on ideas for building like next generation space telescopes, building assembling them in space robotically, where you you, know, you send up the core main bus and then you start adding the mirrors and stuff and you assemble it all in space and you build a telescope that you could never launch in one launch. What is the? I guess what is the limiting factor right now? What is the hardest? uh nut to crack for us to be able to get to that place where where we can start to build this stuff in space.
1: So what is gonna be uh, essential is is having knowing that you can do it safely. You know, people see this and see the difficulty of it. They look at um Everything the International Space Station has, has done, which um, is is a phenomenal achievement um, for humanity, but but it, it's difficult. It, you know, it's not a cheap system to build. Yeah, it was expensive. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of money in that. Um, and people have seen that, and and they just need to know. You know, when I'm performing a dock, when I'm when I'm building something, how can I do it safely and cheaply and commercially? So something that we've always been keen to do um, with Astroscale is we've kept our products commercial. Um, yes, we we do have um, agencies and in institutions that support us, particularly as early uh, early customers and demand signalers. But we make sure that we can we can be agile and we can service things at the right price point. Um, so so realizing things at the first at the right price point, I think, is is going to be key for a lot of those future concepts. Um, but you, you don't have to maybe go quite as, let's say, far thinking and, and, and into you know the, the, these larger programs to, to, to appreciate how in-orbit servicing might change the way we think about space. You can take um, a large um, institutional uh, Earth observation satellites as a great example, where often they carry enough fuel to be able to extend their life twice you know its original lifetime um so you know what that tells me is that they're designed very conservatively now if you know that there's a fuel service up there you you don't have to design so conservatively you can rely on 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 those future missions or those uh, future uh, capabilities to um to refuel (coughs) apologies um and then you can also start to see uh new technology concepts come out um as well people who are investigating how you might be able to recycle metallics uh, in space and use them as propellant. Mm. So you then start to see completely new technological concepts, but they rely on someone bringing them something
0: yeah. or someone I know, like, performing the-
1: some manoeuvre.
0: I mean, there are observatories here on Earth that have been operating for, for decades and decades. You think of some of the biggest telescopes, they've had adaptive optic systems attached to them, new instruments swapped out that are the latest technology, you know, the biggest cameras. And you can do that because it's just a big piece of glass that you can then put different things in in front of it. And, and I think just fundamentally, we don't have that philosophy in space yet. And so I think you're right, you know, you you launch with less fuel knowing that you're going to be able to refuel your spacecraft you launch with a less robust power system knowing that you can service it in space if you need to Um, and maybe you get to this place where you think about how there what is the downstream future of some of this stuff we know that when this spacecraft fails it's in an orbit it can then be moved over torn apart fed into a 3d printer and fuel pellets come out or whatever Um, we just like, we haven't even begun to be, to think about what a future looks like in space. It's, it's pretty interesting when you sort of think about all of the ramifications of it. What do you think, like, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, like, what do you sort of see as the, as the future of, of humanity's work in space?
1: I mean, there's there's a lot of talk, obviously, about us going, looking to go back to the the moon and 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 go 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 further afield to, to other planets. But if we just talk about, I suppose, what happens around Earth, you know, I see you having uh, almost a um, a fleet of in orbit servicing capabilities, um, so that they they are maneuvering around space. You have your your large um, gas stations at, at particular orbits, so you start to see um, concepts where you're, you're bringing bringing things there. I think you'll you'll have big recycling plants by that time. Um, uh, I, I think that 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 really you, you, a lot of these things that we talked about refueling in space logistics, uh, space transportation services, they will just become boring. Um, uh, that, i mean that that's the dream right that's the hope and and space debris removal we want to make it as boring as um people putting their bins out uh you know and and having their you know their garbage collected it, it should be that boring because we should be doing it that regularly um and and hopefully by 20 you know you know 2030 years um that will be the case and and I, I, what i hope is that we get there before there's collisions and and actually we're dealing with a much more serious problem um you know, because that would be the, let's say, the more pessimistic view of where we're going to be. If people don't adopt debris removal techniques, people don't prepare their spacecraft for for being recovered, um, then we could be in a uh, in a whole heap of trouble. But let's uh, let's try and be positive and say we're going to do that. And uh, yeah, we'll have a whole um, uh, you know a whole space based infrastructure that we can rely on for the future of of space sustainability.
0: And I think about say air travel and. Even ocean freight, like they move on very specific flight paths, or you know there are the the cargo paths through the through the ocean that you have to stick within this range of buoys to to sort of maintain your position. Um, like we could reorganize the orbits of around Earth to to be what's safe and and sustainable, and then you can imagine you have these these maintenance spacecraft running through these flight you know if a spacecraft goes defunct it can try to it can just show up and try to help repair it you know l if if all of the spacecraft if there was hundreds of spacecraft that were in roughly the same orbit it would totally change the the expenses and the dynamics of this process right like so is is it a legislation issue? Do you think? Like, do we have to collaboration international collaboration to move to this place where where we organize space in a way that's more efficient for us using it and safer?
1: I think that you know international organizations like UN um, do a great job of 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 trying to bring together um, the views of different nations and, and come up with common regulation. Um, unfortunately, there are a lot of opinions out there. And, and people wanting to do things very differently and having different focuses. So it is very difficult to get um, an absolute international consensus. And unlike, um, you know, if you were trying to work out shipping lanes, or if you're working out, um, uh, you know, lanes for air travel, um, often that there comes with an agree. there's almost a subset of regional agreement, because you might be flying over one country, and you just need to talk to them. When you're in space, and you're a satellite, you're flying over everything um so it's uh the, the the scale of the challenge is harder um will we get there eventually probably but um it, it will will take time and it will take um a, a huge global yeah.
0: push and, and effort really i mean it feels inevitable that the way we make this sustainable is that we agree at a global level on where spacecraft should fly to minimize their chances of interacting with each other and causing space junk. And we clean out the rest. You know, if you want to go into a polar orbit, this is this is where all of the spacecraft are going. And if you want to do an equatorial orbit, here's where you go. And if you need a 2000 kilometer orbit, this is the shell over there. And then there are tenders moving through the region that can help fix any problems or remove spacecraft before they collide with each other. And it feels like purely through... I don't know. Like you could remove most of the potential problems just by collaborating on the ground first before you launch this stuff. It sounds like and an even bigger opportunity.
1: Yeah, and and there is some you know some good regulation internationally about um, you know where you go with your spacecraft and and um, you know you have to file when you when you have a proposed mission and and uh, that that is uh, agreed internationally, but what i suppose the the end of that is is what happens at end of life and maybe going back to you know what we're saying about the the spacecraft that failed to deorbit, and are, are up there how do we then deal with that as a, a as a, an international community um we've kind of given people permission to go there but there's there's there needs to be more um i guess accountability and follow up um where people maybe don't act responsibly and and leave a load of rubbish behind um uh, so that that needs to be regulated as as well as you know potentially rewarding the responsible um operators so you we know, we work very closely with with OneWeb um and and the, the craft that we're going to be recovering with else first is a, a OneWeb spacecraft uh, and they've been very forward-leaning on this. They they fitted docking plates to their their spacecraft. They're um, they're they're absolutely aware of the issue and and, and committed to uh, to working sustainably. Um, so the more companies we can encourage to be responsible long-term, uh, as well as that that initial international filing, um, uh, the, the the better I think.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating topic. And it's one that I think people are becoming more and more concerned about. And this is one of those things that, you know, we kind of know how this goes, like, we have enough experience to see what happens when we just keep throwing our trash into a place that is finite. And so hopefully, the, the sooner we can solve these problems and, and move to a more sustainable future in space, uh, the better. Um, so, Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure to to talk to you. If people want to follow the work that you and the team are doing at AstroScale, what's the best place to do that?
1: Uh, absolutely, you can you can find us um, on uh, on Twitter. You can find us on on LinkedIn um, uh, and on Instagram as well. Um, and I'm sure we can put the the links and the and the tags in. Yeah, the and your the website description too. The video, absolutely.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me today and good luck with your upcoming mission.
1: Thanks very much, Fraser.
0: A huge thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and helps us stay independent and keeps ads at a bare minimum. Thanks to all the interplanetary researchers, the interstellar adventurers, and the galaxy wanderers. And a special thanks to Joel Yancey, Antonio Lofi Lara, Dustin Cable, just Paul Davis, Vlad Shipplin, Jay Dennis, David Giltanen, Modso, George, Jeremy Mattern, Jordan Young, Tim Whalen, Dave Varabioff, Andrew M. Gross, and Josh Schultz, who support us at the Master of the Universe level. All your support means the universe to us.